things to send me more information about is baptism. Next Sunday morning is a baptism service, and uh, several of you had indicated your desire to be baptized or have one of your children baptized, and we'd love to do that. Uh, if, for, if you this morning are saying, you know, I, I want to be baptized as well, just check that box and make sure when you turn it in uh, at the end of the service, you drop in the offering baskets. Uh, we'll connect with you right away on that so that we have the info uh, as well. That'd be great. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. And uh, if you would take the time to just give us as much information as you're comfortable, you can drop in the offering at the end, or if you prefer, you can take it to the back welcome table, and we've got a nice gift for you back there, as well as some additional information. That'd be great. I'll even allow you to work on that while I'm teaching up here this morning. And then, uh, you know, if you're not paying attention, you, you almost have a built-in reason on why you don't have to pay attention, right? So, if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 14, okay? So I'll give you a second to, to get there. Right after service this morning, we are having a, a, a potluck, and then we go right into a class we're calling Exploring Membership. And so basically what we're doing is anybody who's been coming the last few weeks or months that would like to learn a little bit about what does it mean to be a member here at Wendover Hills. Now, here's what I want you to write off right, right away. Write off your understanding of what membership means in any church you've ever been to in the past, because it may look very different here. Our focus is the mission and purpose of who we are in Jesus Christ here at Wendover Hills and what we're supposed to be about. And so it would make sense that our membership is about that. And so we'll talk about that right after, after the service. So I invite you to stay, go through the class. Now, we're also inviting every existing member to come because we've rewritten the curriculum entirely. So if you became a member seven or eight uh, years ago and you walked through you know, a, a, a different curriculum, we wanted to be more mission-focused in what we're talking about uh, from a membership standpoint. And so we want you to go through that as well and to be able to talk in those terms as well in membership. So that's right afterwards. I promise it won't go all afternoon, um, just three-quarters of it. But uh, it won't be that long. It really won't. So plus I'm feeding you, okay? Actually, you're feeding yourself. It's a potluck. But, we, you know, whatever. You're eating, right? So uh, that'll be right after service. So when we break here, we're going to immediately eat. We're offering some child care. They've set up some, you know, I, I first said, hey, just do some child care, watch the kids. You know, and they blew it up into more of just having a good time with the kids down there. So, uh, so they'll have a good time with your kids uh, while we're up here doing our thing. Luke chapter 14, that's where we're at this morning. And we're going to talk through this parable that's a very interesting parable that Jesus hits because every time I've ever heard anyone teach on this parable, the focus of the teaching has more been about inviting people or growing the church, um, mainly numerically. And we're going to hit that topic, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But I think it would miss the mark of what Jesus is really saying in this parable if we were to only land on that theme. It's the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14. The question I want to ask this morning is, what really makes the church great? What really makes uh, the church? Why do, we, why do we get up here and talk about the local church being a, a huge hope in our world and reaching people? Well, uh, sadly to say, it's not because of some of the stuff you've known about the church world or some of the stuff you see sometimes. But when we read a passage like this this morning, if we were to say, I want to claim that and be that, well, then it makes the church extremely special. And so that's the kind of the question we're answering this morning. Luke chapter 14, if you've got your Bibles, open up. We're going to start in verse 15, and we're going to read this. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, we've got, some, uh, uh, we've got it on the screen for you to look through. Here's what it says. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. But Jesus replied, 
goes into this parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. The other said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Well, let's take a look at this parable and start working through it. Now, I told you a few weeks ago when we started the parable series that a parable is a story that is told to tell really one point. That's what it's all about. So if we take a parable and we try to be very, very analytical and very academic in it, and we go verse by verse, line by line, we're going to somewhat miss what Jesus is actually trying to do in this. But when we look at this parable and we ask here, how is this parable like the kingdom of God? What is Jesus really trying to get at? Now, this is a little bit unique of the parables, because often when we read the parables in the Bible, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And when he's talking to his disciples and they're having a hard time grasping a concept, he says to them, well, the kingdom of God is like, or it is like, and he goes on and he tells this parable, this story. This setting is different. You saw it at the very beginning in verse 15, when one of those at the tables was with him heard this, he said to Jesus, and it goes on. You see, Jesus is in a different setting. That person at the table, not one of his disciples. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 14 or further back in chapter 14, you'll see that Jesus was actually hanging out with Pharisees, having a meal with the Pharisees. Now, sometimes we say, but Jesus was so amazing because he would go out and he would eat and spend time with the terrible of society or the lame, the cripple, the poor that, that we read about. And then we talk about how Jesus slams the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day who thought they had it all together, but Jesus said, look, you're missing the mark on this God thing entirely. But that's not entirely true. Here's Jesus on occasion. He says, I would like to go have a meal at your house. And I would like to go sit down with you. You know, it would be like, you know, if as your pastor, we had a, I don't know, a disgruntled here, right? Somebody who's causing my life to be pretty rough. Now, we don't have anyone like that here, right? No. So, and, and I said, instead of avoiding that person all the time or developing strategies on how, you know, we can uh, still do what we want to do around that person, if I said to that person, hey, I'd like to come, I'd like to come just fellowship with you. I'd like to just come chat with you and us sit down and talk. Jesus does this with the Pharisees here. This group who's often seen as his, you know, his, quote-unquote, his enemy. He is there having a fellowship with him. Now, it's not, um, it's not the smoothest fellowship. Jesus challenges them on a couple things while he's there. He challenges them, can I heal on the Sabbath? And they stared at him with no response. And so what did Jesus do? He just went ahead and healed right there on the Sabbath in, in front of them. You see, they were still a little confused by all this, but that's the setting Jesus is in. And then in verse 12, take a look at this. If you just glance your eyes back just a little, it won't be on your screen, but I'll read it to you. 
Then Jesus said to the host, this Pharisee, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, listen to this, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid, where? At the resurrection of the righteous. You see, Jesus is talking. That's not a parable. Jesus is talking directly to this Pharisee. Because what would happen? You had a party, you would invite prominent people to come to your party. And if they came, then what would they do? They would invite you. And so this circle of, you know, prominent people would just keep developing. And so it would be these people, prominent, great, awesome. And then over here, this group, as he describes it, the crippled, the lame, the poor, who would never get invited into this type of atmosphere. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Because when you get invited back, that's all the reward you'll ever have. You get to go and have another meal with some people that seemingly are important. He says, you want to be important with your God? It's a Pharisee, remember? Religious leader. You want to be important with your God? Go find the cripple, the lame, the poor. Invite them to come and be at your banquet. Invite the person who would never be invited to anything like that. Invite them to come. Will they be able to repay you? Nothing. Nothing. You're never going to have a meal at their home. But your reward will be in front of your God. That's, that's a pretty amazing story. And so what did the Pharisee say? He said, wow, well, blessed are those who uh, have a seat at the table in the kingdom. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable. Why? Because the Pharisee didn't get it. He didn't get what Jesus was saying. He didn't say, look, how blessed to come and sit at the table. Jesus is saying, invite those to your table. You be the inviter. You be the one that puts aside the prominent and goes and invites those who would otherwise never be invited. And since you just didn't get it, let me tell you another story. And he goes on and he tells this parable. Do you see how Jesus is trying to drive home a point here and how he gets into this story? Can you see now why for me to read this parable and to end on the theme of the church needing to keep growing in numbers, it just doesn't make sense with what Jesus is really trying to say here in this parable. And so he goes on. He tells the story, right? And he says a, a, a person, he had a party, and he invited people. And then when it came time for the party, well, what did they do? They started making excuses on why they didn't want to come or they couldn't come, right? Now, let me tell you how it would have worked. Similar to today, they would have sent out an invitation and it would have got an RSVP, just like, you know, we do often. We send out a, you know, wedding invitation, birthday party invitations, you get an RSVP. That's what would have happened, right? And so people would have said, yes, I will be there. Five of us are coming, the whole family, or three of us are coming, so-and-so is going to be gone. And so there would be a count, and they would know who is coming. If it's a small group, they would know, you know, a certain, certain kind of meat or a certain amount of meat would be cooked. If it's a large group, we got to go bigger. And so the RSVP would help them on that pretty much the same as today. You send out, you know, your Facebook invites. People click a little ding, you know, I'm coming to your, your get-together, and then you have an idea, right? That's what's going on at this time as well. So when the time came, they don't have Facebook to reconfirm here, the servant was sent out to say, hey, everything's ready now. Now's the time to, to actually come. And then it was at this time that those who had RSVP'd said, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I won't be coming today. 
Now, you would know from experience, how frustrating does that make you when somebody says, I will be there, and then you go through all the preparations as if they will be there, and then they don't come? Is that an enjoyable thing to do? No, not very enjoyable at all. You end up with too much, you know, meatballs at your house, which would never be a problem at my house, but, you know, maybe for you it would be an issue. You end up with too much. Or you look back at your bill, you kept the receipt, and you go, why did I spend this amount when I could have spent half that amount? That's really what's going on. This, this person is looking and saying, look, you RSVP'd, you're supposed to be there. Now, let's look at these reasons for, for a split second here. Um, these seem like legitimate reasons, right? I mean, whoever tells somebody that when they've RSVP'd, you know, I really appreciate it. I'm not going to make it today because, you know, I don't want to come. <laughs> I just, I don't want to be there. We never say that, do we, right? We always have some legit reason why we tell the person, whether we really have it or not, we feel compelled to share with them. That's what they're doing here. Take a look at this. I mean, the first guy here, he says, I just bought a field and I got to go see the field. Got to go look at it. Now, nobody buys a field without knowing what they're buying, without going out to see, okay, what type of field is this? I, I mean, is this some good grass? And is there any water running through this field? Is there any trees for shade? Or am I buying a desert and rocks? What am I really buying here? You would go and inspect it, right? And, and know what you're purchasing here. Here's the other thing. The, the guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Now, I'm going to be honest. This week I was like, well, that sounds like a pretty legit reason. So I had to actually research this one a little bit. And one of the key things there is when you buy oxen, I guess, is you got to make sure the oxen will work together as a team. Apparently they don't all do that out there. Who knew? But as he bought this oxen, he would want to make sure. So surely this guy, like the land purchaser, would want to inspect his oxen before he spent the money. Now, I probably am not going to call Cherie and say, hey, honey, I know you've been planning that special dinner for a couple weeks, and I said I'd be there, but I just bought five cars without seeing them, and I, I need to go check it out and see, you know, I got to go see if they're, they're all right for us. So that would be trouble in the Raven marriage if that were to go down. So this guy as well seems legit on first read, not really legit. Here's the other guy. He says this, um, I just got married, so I can't come right? Now, you're in first hand say, well, I mean, the guy got married. Well, certainly, if, you know, in reading that, it's seemingly he would have just got married. Like, maybe they're having the reception or maybe the wedding's that day. I mean, but, you know, this is probably not, I just got married a month ago, you know, so I, I, I can't make it there. I mean, I mean, we know newlyweds and stuff, but come on. I mean, so he can make it to this, right? But think about it. In this type of culture, in usually in towns that are very small in number compared to what we think of a small town nowadays. If somebody were to have a wedding celebration, that's a date that's on the calendar. That's something that the whole town is invited to, and it's celebrated as a community. And so to think that this guy put his party on this day right on top of something else, it just doesn't quite make sense there. And so really when we look at these, they're all three they're all three really excuses. They've got some of this legitimacy that can be twisted into justification, but they're really saying, I accepted, I received, I said yes, but now, you know, we really aren't as excited about it now. And then the substitute some reason why they can't come. Well, this, just like it does to us, makes the master angry and upset, and so he decides, I'm not having a bust of a party. 
So I'm going to go out and I'm going to invite people to come in that otherwise would never come to a party, and I will invite them right in. And certainly that's what he does here. And the servant comes back and says, it's done, and there's still room. So he goes out and he invites as many of these poor, crippled, lame as he can, and they come in to this party. Can you imagine if you're one of these and you're being invited into this party that you otherwise would I mean, think about this. You watch some of these shows on TV, the Grammy Awards and, the, and you know, these Academy Awards and these after parties. Now think about it, right? If you are just hanging out and one of those celebrities walked by and said, Jeff Yates, do you want to go over to the cast party for, what movie do you like, Jeff? So I was trying to think of kind of a teeny bop one for you, but uh, so, okay, okay. So, so he gets out to this uh, premiere of High School Musical 4, and <laughs> Jeff is at the party. I mean, can you think of being invited to something like that? You know, that's the same thing that's going on with this poor, crippled, the lame here being invited into this party. And then he says here, uh, well, it's not full. So the master said, look, go out into the roads and the country lanes, the highways and byways, some of your translations say, and compel them to come in is what some of your translations say. You know, mine says, make them come in. Now, I'm not sure what, you know, make them, you know, if they're out like at gunpoint, you know, bringing them in. I know there's no guns then. But uh, can you think of them trying to compel and urge them to come in. I mean, think about the servant who's going out, and now he is a salesman trying to say, hey, man, we have the greatest, I mean, we just have the greatest spread you've ever seen. You know, we, we, we shot the duck this morning, you know, we cooked it up. Yeah, everything that he could say to try to invite them in, you know, great party favors, you know, it's, it's going to be a wonderful day. Compel them to come in. And so they did. Now, up to this point, if you're a Jewish person hearing this story, right, you would think, okay, maybe Jesus is talking to, like, the religious leaders of the day. Maybe he's pushing at the Pharisees who he's having a meal with now in the first characters there who wouldn't come. And then he's talking about, you know, the, the poor and the lame, but, you know, they're Jewish poor and the lame right there in the town. But now Jesus is pushing it a little bit because the highways and the byways would have had travelers from anywhere, any backgrounds, any other country, any religious persuasions would have been on those highways and byways traveling through. Now, now, now Jesus is kind of throwing it open. And anybody, I mean, for a Jewish person at the time, we talked about this a little bit with the Good Samaritan, to invite a poor or lame or even unclean Jewish person would have been far more acceptable than going out and inviting somebody from another religious background into the party here. So Jesus is really running the gamut when he throws out these characters. It's subtle to us. We almost don't see it. But a Jewish Pharisee hearing this great banquet story would have been thinking, oh, he's hitting us pretty hard here at the end. What's Jesus really saying here? What's the whole point, this overall meaning of this, this parable this morning? Well, when I look at this, I think Jesus is saying one thing very clear to us, that as followers of Jesus Christ, or as believers in God and people who are committed to him, that our job is so different than what we often think it is. That when we often think it has to do with this, this kind of, you know, making sure we get in prominent places or things that would be really cool for us and might tickle us a little bit in the future, maybe do this because we'll get a return favor over here down the road. Jesus is saying, look, that means that's meaningless. 
It's meaningless to the kingdom. That God looks at that and almost spits upon that kind of thing. But what he really wants us to be about is to turn and look. Who's the disenfranchised? Who's the cripple? Who's the lame? Who's the poor? Who's the equivalent in our society? Now, it may be literally those titles. You go down and you literally see somebody lame or crippled or poor, blind. It'd be literally. And we offer a hand and we help. It's why we keep pushing Lot 2540 so much when we send people up there. Because every Saturday morning, and certainly the once a month when we do our service, 80, 100 people are rolling in there that it is so clear it's exactly who Jesus is talking about in this passage. And so we, we have to go help. We have to go serve because that's what he's called us to do. And it, it's really what drives our heart anyway. It's why so many went down to Agape, uh, the, the discount store yesterday, thrift store that the dudes are, are launching to get it ready and get it going, um, is because people will roll through there that very literally fall into this category. And here's going to be a Christian store who not only shares with them goods that they may need, but the opportunity to share about who Jesus Christ is as well. Uh, they could be literally. Or it might be somebody that when you look at them, you know man, they are incredibly poor in spirit. They're, they're just defeated in life. It may not be that the salary is low, but you can tell what's going on in their heart and life is low. And if only Jesus could break into that, they could be something totally different. And you know what Jesus says here? That's the people to go after. That's the people to go spend time with. That's the people to pour into in your life. You know, when I was in high school, um, I became a Christian in high school. Um, I didn't really grow up in the church. We went a few times. But I became a Christian, and I was, I was pretty energized right away. I had just got or was just getting after I became a Christian my driver's license. And um, unlike my son, uh, who will get his in a year here, um, my parents kind of gave me free reign of the car once I had my license. So, you know, I was out and about. Um, my son, I, I will lose the car keys when he gets his, his license, I think. Anyhow, that's not part of the story. So, so my, uh, my friend Kurt and I, he was a believer. He kind of led me along, got me into the right setting where I became a Christian, all right? So we decided in the mornings what we would do is uh, we would play Christian heavy metal, all right, in our cars. So it was such a thing. You know, still, actually still is. So we're listening to Christian heavy metal, and he would drive his car, and I would drive my car. We would no longer ride together, and what we would do is we would drive to school, and we would try to pick up some guys that were, like, walking to school so that we could have this brief interaction with them having Christian heavy metal, and we, I, would, I would pick up guys that, you know, I thought maybe they were metal guys, um, and we'd ride, and we'd talk for five minutes or so, and I, hoping that they might ask a question about the, me, the music or something. They rarely did. And we'd have this little interaction, and maybe I could invite them to youth group. And we did this for a few months, uh, finishing off that, that year of school. Um, I'd love to tell you, like, the, the Lord just flooded the doors with heavy metal Hessians in our youth group, but um, it's not the case. Uh, but there was some connection. Why? Because before I knew this passage, before I knew anything about a, these great stories in the Word, I said yes to Jesus, and there was something within my heart that the Holy Spirit pushed there that says, you know, Tom, don't just ride with your Christian friend Kurt to school each day. Go invite that guy walking on the sidewalk that, you know, you don't know anything about. I mean, I, the first guy I picked up was a senior in high school. When you're a sophomore and he's a senior, you know, you think, you know, they're like really old and mature. Um, now I look back and go, what was I thinking? So, yeah. I mean, not you guys. Our teens, very mature. 
But there was something within me that said, that's the people we need to go to. That's the people we need to spend the time with. Was it easier? No. <laughs> it was always hard to formulate conversations and to think about, what am I going to say for five minutes to this guy? Um, but I think it's more rewarding at the end, whether the youth group was filled with them or not. That's the point of the parable. That's what Jesus is getting out here. Why do ministers often go to the final passage so that my house will be full? Well, I think that every pastor wants their house full, right? And when we look out and we see empty chairs, we say, I don't like empty chairs, right? I want to be honest with you, I'm no different. No different. That when I think about our house, when I think about our, our desire to reach people, when I think about uh, just the growth of our church, it wasn't long ago where our church was kind of on life support you know, here. And the Lord has blessed and grown, and there's this incredible spirit about what God is doing. I will not lie to you that I am jealous for more of that, for the Lord to continue to do that. But I want to be honest with you, that when I think about that, I think about it in terms of this passage and this parable, that I want to see our house full every week because we're out reaching people. Because somebody you work with doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you can just see the emptiness. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, they, they fall into the literal poor category or if they're triple digits or whatever. And, and you know they, don't, they need Jesus in their life. And God's put you in a unique situation to influence them, to speak into them, to develop a relationship with them. That's the person I would say I want to see fill in that seat and coming. Or the person who otherwise receives no type of invite to have spiritual refreshment and to have Jesus into their life. That's the person. And so will I lie to you and say, I don't want to see our house full? No, absolutely I want to see this house full. But I want to see it full by us following what Jesus is talking about here, reaching and serving people in this. You know, um, I've done a lot of things in my life that... Uh, yeah, they were fun at the time. I played baseball uh, for a number of years, played some high school ball, and then I went on and played college ball. I got a, a, a played for one year in a semi-professional league uh, there. There was these times when uh, I remember I went five for five in one game, and I remember kind of the elation and sitting in my dorm room thinking about the accomplishment that night. Um, in fact, there, there's been other times uh, in my life where there's been some small accomplishment that have happened, and I can remember almost thinking back of how I felt in that accomplishment. You probably have the same days in your own life where you accomplished something like that. When I look back, though, most of those accomplishments, they're pretty meaningless overall. That doesn't mean they were wrong to engage in them, but they were pretty meaningless in, as far as making any kingdom impact. And as I've gotten older, and I'm 40 years old now, um, yesterday, um, some of you know, I, I competed for the first time in an Olympic weightlifting competition. Now, I know, you look at me and go, gosh, you know, I was thinking he's so big and muscular, he probably competes in something like that, and you know, you, and you're right. No, but this, this year, I wanted to do a sport I had never done before, and, uh, and somebody said, well, look, we've got the free area right here, why don't you just do Olympic weightlifting? I said, okay. So, um, and yesterday, I, I actually exceeded lifting what I was hoping I would lift yesterday and actually won my age group, which means there's not most, many 40-year-olds lifting, so that was really easy to win. Um, but I don't tell that part of the story. Well, I guess I just did. So, but I was watching guys who would come off, and they were so fired up about lifting or something. You know, they were doing the fist pounding and the running around and the, the yelling and, and some of the language that goes with it and stuff like that. 
And I, for the most part, I, for me, I lifted. I, I, I sat down and I, I walked away. I don't think you could tell if I lifted or not lifted. It wasn't because I wasn't elated, all right? But somewhere along the road in my life, those things are just not as meaningful anymore. Oh, it's fun and exciting, but they're just not as meaningful. And I thought about it um, last night as I laid in bed and I was thinking about teaching here today. And I, I said this way, um, I wanted to write it down, that I want to be known more. This is what I want to be known for. I want to be known as somebody, when you look and you say, Tom, man, he really loves people and he keeps bringing them to Jesus. That's really, at the end of the day, what I'd want to be known for, that he loves them and he brings them to Jesus. Look, I don't want to be known as somebody who just loves people. So if you stop at loving people, then I don't think I really reached what God's called me to be, because loving somebody without sharing Jesus with them is, is just not going far enough. I want to love them and I want to reach them for Jesus. But I don't want to just be out there pounding the pavement to reach them for Jesus and they never feel like, man, he really loves people too. I'd be missing the mark that way as well. And what I really think as our church, when I think about this passage, what we need to be as a church and what makes Windover Hills so special is a passion to see people come to know Jesus. That would make us special. If we, every single one of us, developed or enhanced a passion to see people come to know Jesus Christ, then that makes a church special. We have no interest in a holy huddle here. We don't have any interest in a Christian social club. We have interest in a church that reaches people, that loves people, and sees them come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we'll build them up, and we'll have a great time together in the process. We're going to do it eating today. But that's our goal, and that's our mission. On your chair today, I put a, a card for some of you, I know, reaching or inviting, it just comes so easy and natural. You go to the grocery store, you invited three people before you checked out. Um, so some of that works. But if not, um, I wanted to give you just a little simple strategy this morning that could kind of get us on the same page and the same focus in our desire to reach people. And so on one side, it just simply says reach. Um, somebody said to me this morning, that looks like he's reaching out to strangle somebody. Um, that was not our intent, but uh, it does say compel them to come in. So I guess use whatever you... Don't do that. On back, it says this. It says, three people or families I'd like to see reached for Jesus or for Christ. I would guess right now, you wouldn't even need to take two minutes to think about this. You would know three people that you engage with or that you spend time with, you have some form of relationship with. People and family, right away you know these are the people I would love to see Jesus Christ in their life. It makes such an impact in their life. And you just write their names down right there on that card. Now, why? I know who they are, Tom. I don't need to write them down. It's this visual reminder in front of us. Do you ever forget anything? I do, all the time. You're going to see in just a few minutes because I don't have a, a, a dish to share with you today <laughs> uh, because I forgot to make one. Oh, I'm still going to eat, though, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. So you write down three families there that you want to see reach, a visual reminder. And then here's what we do with this at the bottom. We pray daily for each of this, these people or these families. Just pray for them every single day. Pray. You know, in seventh grade, I started praying for my future wife. Every single night, I just said, Lord, wherever she's at, whatever she's doing, just please watching over her, develop her. And I didn't even know the Lord at the time. I was going to a youth group, but I wasn't a Christian. I just knew you were supposed to pray about things. You know, it wasn't until ninth grade. I'd been praying for that for two years before I even became a Christian. 
And I continued on that all the way up to where um, Cherie said yes, that she would marry me. And then I thought I was pretty safe. So, um, so I quit praying for it. <laughs> so, not that I don't pray for her. So. All right, the second one, speak to each of these people. Guys, sometimes we just think, hey, I'll just pray for them and God will do some supernatural work, you know, in their life and they'll come to know Jesus and I won't really ever have to actually talk to them. Now, but God says, look, I, I've developed a way to reach them and you are that way. In fact, you are the way. I have no other way. And so go and share with them. Speak to them. Develop a relationship with them. Spend time with them. You know, if you joined a gym, well, use your time at the gym as a way to relate and connect with people. If you're at a job somewhere, well, use that, that time at your job to relate and connect with people. Maybe they're on your list. Speak to those people weekly. Try every seven days to have some meaningful conversation with them. And then finally, invite at least one person, or those families, to come to church this month. So for the remainder of the month, just, just build up the opportunity where you invite them to come and just to be here. Just come, join me. We'll go out to lunch afterwards. Something like that. Invite them to come. Now, uh, in our church, there, is, there are strategically reasons why it's, it's healthy for us to keep growing in what we're doing. As we talked about hiring of staff and doing stuff of things. Those are important. But I want our focus and our goal when we talk about these things is to reach people for Jesus Christ. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing is if we were to sit at this point next year, next February, and every single person here had some testimony you could stand and share, and you could say, you know, I had this connection with this person. I was praying for them. I was talking with them. And they came to know Jesus as their Savior. Maybe it was because you prayed with them, or maybe it was because you got them here and they said yes one Sunday morning, or maybe it's because, you know, you planted a seed and somebody else picked up on it. But if every single one of us shared a testimony about somebody coming to the Lord, that would be a powerful service for us to stand and to share and be a part of. You can do it. Really can. As a, as a community, we can be that type of community. And at the end of the day, when they say, what is Wendover Hills known for? You would say, we are known by our passion to see people come to know Christ. Let me pray for you in that area, and then I'll give you a, a little bit of directions on where we're going, and then I think our praise team will finish this off with one more. Father, thank you this morning for this parable where you challenge us on where our eyes should be. You challenge us on who we should, who we should be inviting and who we should be looking after. And Lord, it's true that there's many times in our life we've offered invitations and nobody's interested. But Father, you still say, just keep, just keep going and inviting. Keep inviting people in who otherwise would never hear about Christ. And so Lord, I just pray that this would define who we are, our passion to see people come to know Jesus, and that we recognize that this Sunday morning is an avenue, and it's a significant avenue for people to come and to hear about Christ. And Lord, we want to be a church that when people come and they they sit here, they say, wow, there's something different here that I hadn't experienced before. And so Lord, use us. Every single person that I'm looking at here, and myself as well, use us. It's not the job of the minister, the paid staff, the seminary educated, your word says it is all of us. And so compel us to go and to share with others, to invite them in, to tell them about Jesus. And Lord, as your word is saying this morning, just help us to love them along the way. 
And what type of impact, Lord, could we have? And so, Lord, could I finish off this prayer by just saying, Lord, I want to pray for every single person that's going to be written down on one of these cards. I want to pray for every person that's going to be talked to and prayed for. And then, Lord, I want to pray for every person that's going to be invited to come be with us this month because somebody here said, I'm going to get passionate about seeing people become Christians. And then, Lord, we'll, with great joy, we will celebrate what you're doing. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you have your card, uh, now's the time. Our ushers are going to come in just a minute and receive that. And I want to finish up by saying if maybe it's you this morning who is the one that you don't know Christ is your Savior or you, you kind of know what it's about, but you've never said yes. And this may be the morning for you to say yes. And if you're ready or if in that, sometime in that sermon you're just like, you know, I need to become that, right here on the back of your card you can just check becoming a Christian. I would love to call and talk with you about that and just spend time uh, just praying with you on that. So just mark that in your card and we'll get in touch with you. Now, in just a minute after we sing our final song, we're going to go right into our, our meal time. And so Leslie will give you just a few instructions afterwards. We do have child care. And so parents, we're just going to ask that you kind of help with keeping the kids, getting their food and keeping them in this area. The area that we rent is the area we need to kind of corral everybody into as well. And then parents, when your ch children are done, if you'll head them right down to the, ch the kids area, we'll get right into uh, our membership class as well. Let's will give you a few other instructions in just a few minutes. Uh, but why don't you stand? Our ushers will come through and be faithful with your, your tithes and offering and drop your cards in as well.